0: All right, this is just me, okay. Episode three, and we're rolling. Hello, I'm Katie. I'm Dana. And we're back with another episode of Just Me, okay, the podcast where we cut cords on cultural norms and expectations and explore how we can all live life on our own terms. Woo! Yay! We're back! It's always a miracle that like we've come back for another one, but <laughs> here we are.
1: We made it. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling this week, KP?
0: Mm, I'm okay. I uh, Coming off another crazy busy week of work, lots of highs, lots of lows, and everything kind of in between, and we're recording on a Saturday, so just, like, thankful it's the weekend and mm. we have a second to, like, rest and recover and, and all that stuff, but... Overall feeling pretty good, pretty pretty positive today. How about you? How are you feeling?
1: Oh, that's so nice. It does feel like we're getting into the groove of the year, and so we can feel hopefully a little bit more positive. Yeah, I'm also feeling a little bit more up today. I got my skincare routine in check. Yes. She got some body butter. She's glowing. Was able to kind of take some self care this morning, and so that is a nice jump start to the day. And yeah, excited that it's the weekend, and don't feel too much like pressure to be going out and doing a bunch of things this weekend. So it just feels a little bit more calm. I don't know.
0: So, that's, but you that's are nice. seeing Miss. Casey Oh, Musgraves yes. I, I am
1: seeing Miss Casey Musgraves, the icon, the legend, the hero, the, <laughs> the hero. just.
0: Uh, the hero we don't deserve this.
1: Th- th- truly the hero we don't deserve of our hearts and all breakups and <laughs> no. all like serious feels. Um, so very excited. Very, very excited for that. Yeah. Starcrossed. What a great oh album. Oh my God. What a great album. All the feels. Just, you know, dark and slow and just melting with dripping. With emotion. It mm-hmm. was great. It, it's So great. much
0: nostalgia makes oh. you think of, like, every ex and every person that's come in and out of your life.
1: It's oh, yeah. Great. Everybody was like, oh, like, uh, Taylor, all too well, meh, 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 Oh, God. <laughs> Don't go
0: too hard, love- Taylor. We know this dance. <laughs> we know this dance will come out for you. But, God, come on. Which
1: I appreciate. I love all too well. I love Taylor. I appreciate Miss Taylor. But, you know. For all, all the melancholy kids, Casey yes, is just is a magic, yeah. magic human, so, so she's my, my go-to,
0: so very excited about that.
1: But yeah, that's kind of how it's going, how the wheels are turning.
0: Awesome, cool. <laughs> well, I'm glad for everyone you're catching us in a good mood. I realized like last episode, I was like, I hate myself, and I hate the world, and I don't feel <laughs> confident in anything, so much higher note we're starting on, which is excellent. Okay, cool. Well, after the mini break, we're going to start our conversation around identity, which should be... No big deal. Meaty. (laughs) Meaty. It'll be good. So, stay tuned. There is more after the break. All right, cool. So, I think we're ready to move into episode around identity which is super super exciting there's only so much we can cover here i think there's a lot more episodes to come but i think the first episode on identity that we wanted to cross off on you know just talking about how identity is shaped and formed as we grow up so we're going to talk a lot about childhood and families and things like that but also how we're reshaping our identities now that we're older and have just more life experience under our belts to to decide like who we really really are without the influence of of family and and a smaller universe when we're younger Mm -hmm. so i think the best place to start is dana what what do you think are the things that have had the biggest impact on the formation of our identities What leaves that everlasting mark on us that shapes who we are and how we handle the world? Yeah, I think
1: it has to start with family, right? And because that's literally what you're born into. And so it's the values, the beliefs, the cultures, the dynamics, the environment of your family rooted in those people that are raising you or surrounding you as you grow up. And also, sort of, the dominant cultures that they bring to the table or that in, they're influenced by. And so, in the simplest form, I think it starts with your family's experience and outlook on the world, and therefore, you know, their expectations of you as well. I think it also has to do with sort of the intrinsic characteristics of identity, right? Your ethnicity, your race, your background, your, again, those value systems. But also like socioeconomic status, right? Your environment, the time period, you know, whatever's going on in culture and in society Mm. at that moment, maybe to a lesser extent, but certainly sort of the environment in general, um, culturally and physically. And then of course, like gender and sexuality, it becomes a part of this equation, you know, as you grow up and start to feel out your own experience. And then I think there's like an outer, outer rung, which is like when you start to like make relationships with friends and outside influences and those things also leave an everlasting mark as much as some of the things that are like brought into the world with you, like your your ethnicity or your background.
0: Right. You don't even have a choice a lot of times. You are stuck living the lives of what your family wants. You don't have the opportunity to have your own mm-hmm. point of view. So there's a lot of good conversation happening I see on the internet now about like intergenerational trauma. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what your parents have been through, what your grandparents have been through, what your great grandparents have been through. There is such a trickle down effect. What they've been through is going to guide what you're about to go through. Mm -hmm. They're going to shield you from things that they don't want to experience ever again. They're going to push you to do things that they love and were pushed to love too at some point Mm -hmm. in their life. And, you you have to hope that like your parents just always have the best intentions for you. They're not perfect people. They're flawed just like us, but their experiences shape your experiences. And that
1: means you're born into both the good and the bad, right? The cycles of trauma, the cycles of um, limitations, as well as the opportunity to progress, right? And Mm -hmm. the good and in each of those people that is surrounding you and raising you and nurturing you, so it's a it's a full picture. It is not just one thing or another. It's not binary. It's not just the good or the bad for mm-hmm. sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally.
1: And so now that we've sort of defined like all of those factors that influence our identity, whether it's those unchangeable things that we're born into that are going to be true to us forever, um, that form who we are at a very base level all the way to the influences and the experiences and the things that we pick up from those around us or the world around us as we grow. Um, We also wanna talk today about sort of those moments as you grow up when you realize that you have the opportunity to shape your own identity, right? As a kid, it is very much sort of more passive, right? You are a sponge taking in Mm -hmm. what your parents tell you, what your family tells you, what you see around you, how you feel about it and sort of making up the construction of your identity based on these inputs. But then as you grow older, there comes some certain points throughout your life where and triggers that allow you to say, hmm, like is that right for me? Is that true about me? Can I shape my identity in a different way? As you develop your personality, as you enter social dynamics, and so we're also interested in like, yeah, what are those triggers or moments that shape your own identity where you might question what is true to your identity or where you're able to open up the opportunity to say I want to explore this part of myself or Mm -hmm. I want to emulate this other person that I'm inspired by and there is sort of this rub moment where you decide like hmm what makes up my identity is interesting and true to me, but I'd like to explore even more. Or I want to reconcile, mm-hmm. you know, where my identity, my identity could go if I'm in the driver's seat.
0: Totally, totally. And I think my, probably, like, around your teenage years, like, that that is the marker of, like, where you start to veer from the ideals of your family because your world is starting to get bigger. That shift in in your teenage years, I think is so um, special and, and so important. It is the first taste of kind of freedom of, of figuring out who you are, which is a really cool experience, sometimes also really painful. There's there's hard lessons with it, too.
1: Absolutely. And and it is such like a that's where you learn that actually identity formation is so much about trial and error, right? And like playing and discovering and exploring and <laughs> because I think especially at the age you don't know what you're really doing so you're just kind of trying on mm-hmm. different modes and models and ideas and your parents or your family can sometimes cut those things short or impose their own beliefs on those things and so you're kind of in this trial and error mode whether it's enforced or or just you know how you're living but it also then you know evolves into when you are old enough at 18 or whatever to go into college or continuing education or decide that you just want to enter the workforce or whatever like that's also a moment where you're leaving right your home your unit as you know it and living more independently and that's another trigger moment I think for a lot of people to like huge run free and and question everything and and especially you know at that ripe age you've got this freedom and independence that you didn't have before to really go out and explore and like self-define and Mm self-create and then as you enter like older adulthood which I think is the most like interesting phase of this identity formation for me anyway that I'm in right now which is like as you get to, you know, your late twenties and thirties and you're out of just like freedom independence mode, figuring it out, having fun, realizing like where your beliefs or your values diverge from what -hmm. you've known Mm -hmm. in so many ways and you have those moments of really seeing your parents for what they were like Mm. or your family in a different light because you're comparing it it's not it's not they're almost equal comparisons it's like how I started to live my life when my parents or my family started to live their lives and somehow the comparison really brings everything to a stark reality and you start to question like wow do I want to live that way or not? Do I want to repeat patterns or not? Is this a pattern that I'm repeating? (laughs) And you come into contact with a lot more of that questioning and those detours or you know strengthening those things that you learned and picked up and Mm -hmm. saying actually yeah I want to feed that because it's a great experience and it makes me who I am and it makes me stronger.
0: Yeah, I I agree that like the end of your college years and through your 20s are some of the hardest years of your life. I think it's it's fair to say in your 20s you can have an identity crisis. Mm. And that is where you're mm. questioning why why am I going against the grain of certain things that I've been taught since I was a child or things that I loved when I was a teenager, mm. but as an adult I realize I don't want that anymore and it's very easy to feel like you're on your own little islands as you're figuring yourself out for the first time as an independent absolutely i was in therapy a, a few years ago i had the quintessential like cliche therapy moment where we talked and i said out loud to my therapist i don't know who i am <laughs> and it like I was just, like sobbing me like i don't know and and it was that moment of realization that now was my time mm-hmm to figure it out. Like, what is really my point of view on everything I've ever been told and every every character trait that I have in myself right now and do I like it and do I not and what do I want to change? Because I can. I live on my own now. No one tells me how to live. It is up to me to decide what my identity is moving forward and, like, I had to hit that ground zero and it was hilariously sad because it was so like just so typical and cliche therapy but that was the aha moment for me
1: but like that it's yes fine cliche moment but like that's the moment that is it it. like we all have it that is the moment was that experience scary but also empowering a little bit of that duality what did it feel like coming out of that
0: yeah so when I had that moment, I think it was actually a low point I probably because I'm crying at my therapist's office and you almost don't know where to start you're like, oh my god, how do I how do I take this on and how do I build myself back up and also I remember feeling in the moment a bit embarrassed because you know I was twenty nine years old I've been living on my own and. I thought like I should I'm a fully functioning woman. I have a full-time <laughs> paying job. I'm like on a growth to promotion. I'm doing good, but I felt embarrassed because I thought I should I should know who I am and I was surrounded by people who are so smart, have such sharp point of views and feel so comfortable with who they are and like Mm -hmm. they don't care if you like it or not that I was like why am I not there yet and I I felt a bit embarrassed too that I was saying it at that age
1: yeah god that should is so heavy the like because it's the ultimate should right we you know you should get married you should Mm -hmm. go to college you should no no but like you should know who you are like have a self idea right like you should know what you're about what you care about you know Yeah, yeah exactly it's so heavy and like why do we hold ourselves to that standard because like we tend to think of identity as like this destination right it's like I'm gonna find myself somewhere at some point I am uh growing into myself and and it's like this linear journey but actually like that road is so complicated and so nuanced and like we tend to think those people who we see who are really strong in their beliefs or seem to know themselves really well that they must have just you know grown up and grew into themselves and they figured it out and they know themselves and it's like that's maybe not the path for everybody and what if you don't know and maybe that's okay like maybe you're it's more about the discovery than it is about like getting to that final destination of who you are but I can see how like yeah it feels like you've been on earth for what a quarter of your life (laughs) hopefully like you should have something figured out but you know what is identity I don't even know like you think about the base layers of like I am this type of person I was born into this family and you have like terms and things that you You can use yeah you think you know but do you ever really know like there's so many layers to
0: that. I think it's more complicated totally. than just the should allows totally. us to. And I think like we're so busy living our day-to-day mm. that yes. we don't look back and take the time to understand and, and kind of pick it apart and take things with us.
1: Oof, absolutely. Mm-mm. We're just letting it play. We're yeah. letting the cameras roll and we don't take enough time to edit or even just like, go back and look. Right? Are you hanging your hat on a definition that you have you know, constructed that you think is you, but in reality, when you reflect on it, maybe there's some cracks in that definition. Maybe it needs to be refined
0: and maybe there's something more there, right? Any time is a good time to re-edit and refocus so that you can become a better person that has a point of view that feels really true to who you are uh, so that you can live a happier life.
1: Mm. Do we need more identity crises? <laughs>
0: moments, you know what I mean? Not,
1: not because we want to yeah. go through trauma or suffer or anything like that, but more, I think we wait for those moments sometimes. Sometimes we're just in the sauce and we just, we wait and push it off and until that moment where we're actually at a true crisis and we have to address it. Uh-oh. But like maybe we need more mini crises along the way to like remind us, snap out of it, reflect, remember, actually think, like embrace yourself. Let's have a moment because, you know, that might help us with the work long term instead of just waiting until our midlife crisis to deal with everything or Mm -hmm. waiting until shit hits the fan, until shit gets really real. So maybe we need to embrace more of the mini crises that we're having.
0: Okay. So now we're going to just Dive into it. We have this understanding of our identities' initial formation, obviously through things that uh, we have grown up with. So this is this is diving deep and, and personal. We want to talk about what has shaped us growing up and letting people know they're not alone in feeling certain ways about their experiences as well. So yeah, let's let's dive into it. Dana, you tell me what has shaped you growing up. <sighs>
1: um it has to start for me with my ethnicity and my race because I'm biracial and that experience of being two different cultures, two different value systems, two different literal ex- you know external expressions of race has deeply, deeply defined who I am. It's really cool to be biracial, because oh, yeah. you get to straddle two worlds and like you, cu- I love it because I like to describe it as you come into the world knowing that there's more than one way, mm. right? There's multiple roots in life. Things can blend together. You come into the world as a literal product of blending of things that might be in opposition or be different coming together, Mm -hmm. which is really fucking cool. cool. And it's a great like fun fact story to start your life with, right? Mm -hmm. You'll never get like the, oh, you're just another, you know, whoever, like you've got a fun foundation to share who you are with people. But it's also really uncool Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a lot of ways because it's really hard. I was like totally blown away and just cut to my core When I read More Than Enough by Elaine Welteroth, she is also biracial and I read her book and she had this amazing one sentence description of what it's like to be biracial that just cut me open of the fact that like you exist at the divergence of two worlds that will never fully become one. And that's the tough part of the experience. It's the magic and the you know the curse, right? And so you are straddling these two worlds that make you who you are and make you dynamic and special, but also you're constantly in this state of, do I ever really belong anywhere? What really makes me me? What is more me than the other, etc. And it's like you have this really fun, exciting secret because you're this cool biracial person with so much multitudes inside of you, but then there's no one to share with. Because you're completely different from everyone else, and that experience is so different. And my experience growing up of that totally shaped me in a couple ways I think the first is that like those two cultures I'm half Japanese half Mexican and there's a lot of overlap with those cultures but there's also a lot of differences with those cultures right I would say there's some similar values in terms of discipline and hard work I think are both things that I inherited from my Mexican line of my family and my Japanese line family being super important and to be honored and respected and but also gender roles Right, the woman in Japanese culture is secondary to the man, same as it is in Mexican culture. Like so double down, maybe. double down, yeah. <laughs> double down on the traditional gender roles. <laughs> Sick, awesome, <laughs> tight. Um, and then, but I think there's also like some not even unexpected one that I think I felt really a lot growing up is like the creativity of both those cultures. Ooh. You know, the obviously Japanese culture. Uh, approaches creativity in very different way than Mexican yeah. culture but I, I grew up in a world of creativity and from both ends of the spectrum and I think that was really exciting they also have similar beliefs of like education is really important rules and order are really important hierarchy is important so there's overlaps but they're also highly different like they just are not not at all the same not at all coming from the same orientation and so for me there was a part of it that was about race is a thing that makes you feel like you compete or you're different from other people in general. Mm-hmm. But it was also something that made me feel like I they were competing within my own home and within my own family dynamics. And it's I'm going to be really reductive here just for the sake of time, but yeah, my grandparents weren't stoked. <laughs> my Japanese dad and my Mexican mother were marrying. And so that is a huge formation identity story for me is that their difference brought them together, but it also created divergence in their familial relationships. So my Japanese grandparents weren't like thrilled about my dad marrying a Mexican woman. And I think vice versa, like I don't, I don't know how my grandma felt about um, my mom marrying a Japanese man, but it was different. It's <laughs> like really two
0: very far separate ends of this background. Yeah,
1: and for me as being a blending of both, there are, and also it's internal and external, right? Like I know internally that I'm both, but the other part of it is externally I look Asian. And so for me, it was a really weird experience of acceptance and belonging being in odds of each other. So I was born, I would say, into one side that was really accepting of who I was, more my Mexican side. There just weren't as many opinions, to be honest. I always felt more love and just general acceptance from that side of my family. And so I felt like you could say I was born into one side of my family that was very accepting, yet I didn't look like them at all. I didn't mm-hmm. look the part. Mm-hmm. I looked completely different from all of my cousins. I was not brown, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like I look Asian, <laughs> very Asian. So there was that. Then on the other side, I was born into you know, the Asian side of my family that obviously loved me and accepted me, but to a certain extent, I was not fully Japanese. But I looked the part. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I belonged within a family unit that's, that I knew had you know, a distaste in their mouth about blending races. But then I felt like I belonged with my Mexican side of family, but I didn't look like it. So I also felt other. Mm-hmm. So, that you is, don't actually.
0: Tension is everywhere.
1: Right. You don't actually belong in either camp fully. And so, it was really hard for me as a kid to reconcile, and it made it feel like the two cultures were, were pit against each other. And I, it was like, now that I look back on it, and it's really fucked up, but like I would toggle my preference between them because I was trying to figure it out and I didn't understand. And it was really hard. So, sometimes I would just feel like I'm more Japanese because I look it also like I liked the food better (laughs) and my grandparents were really you know like good about sharing what Japanese culture is with me and so I got I would lean more there versus like I would love my Mexican side of my family and I'd love like going down to Mexico and we would do pinatas and stuff and get those traditions that are more Mexican based but sometimes I would experience moments of being othered where my cousins would be like why do you look like that? Like, you know, or like- It's hurtful. And it's hurtful and shameful. And so you want to push away from that and, yeah. and, you know, not feel that way. And so it brought me some, some level of shame or difference that made me want to turn away from my Mexican culture. So it was always this like toggling back and forth and it felt like a competition. Like which one did I love more? Which one was more me? And also like, you know, which parent dominated, right? Which is kind of scary. No one, I don't so, think- and Your yeah. whole
0: world is a competition. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Cause you, cause peop, we as humans want to define, we yeah. want to simplify, mm-hmm. we want to say like, it's this, that's the answer, uh, a singular answer. And when it's inherently a dual answer, <laughs> there's no making sense of it, right? There is no way to reduce it. And so that I think shaped me the most and has shaped my identity the most of just, yeah, the, that biracial experience and kind of toggling between those two cultures and learning to have them coexist and the power of that and also learning to figure out, you know, what's up and down. I think the other thing for me is, like, my family stories, like my, the, the story of my dad and the story of my mom, they came together out of their difference. Like, they, they found each other. And... They had so much conflict with their own identities growing up. Like my dad felt like he couldn't truly be himself in his Japanese like order, strict mm-hmm. perfectionist household. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be a doctor. He decided to be an architect. Mm-hmm. My mom also felt the patriarchy. and <laughs> Didn't like the idea of serving a Mexican man for the rest of her life. And so she was looking for something completely different. Mm-hmm. She did not want the life of her mother and so they were in such conflict with how they grew up and their identities growing up that they forged their own story together and that
0: uh, that's like that is trauma actually <laughs> making a beautiful story in a way right. right like it's it's changing for good absolutely
1: their yeah. story is one of embracing each other's difference because they didn't have anyone embracing their difference from their family units mm-hmm. And it's also a fighting story, right? Like they were able to like have the courage to choose their own path, right? To find each other, but also to decide, I'm gonna deviate from what's expected of me, what my parents told me, what was normal, what my identity originally was. And so I was gifted that story of what it implies to me as growing up is you can choose your own path. You don't have to be defined by how you grew up. You can challenge the expectation. And it will be hard and not everybody will go with you, but you can do it. Mm -hmm. And good can come out of it because I'm literally the representation of good can come out of that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that, like, is powerful and shapes who I am. And it comes from generational trauma, but people working out of that generational Mm -hmm. trauma and allows me to live this life that is completely open, like an open oyster. (laughs) Like, I can explore whoever I want to be. So I think that's a magical gift that my parents' trauma gave me and that the biracial experience and their experience of pushing against norms. Their identities a- brought them together and right. then also made you and right. part of your identities. It's very right. cool. So it's, it's a cool story, but it's a rough one. But it a- afforded me the ability to be whoever I wanted. And so, like, yeah, net-net, I think those are the big things. I would also say, like, the only child experience only amplified that sense of, like, freedom and possibility even though you know obviously moving through the world as someone who doesn't look average or who ha- who has like this multitude within them is hard but I think like all of that experience has uh, that that root of my identity has been both empowering and limiting in some ways right like of course empowering in the sense that like as I said at the top like I'm extremely open minded. I am extremely empathetic and extremely sensitive to multiple points of view and like multiple things. I can hold multiple truths at right. once because I'm literally the product of it. You <laughs>
0: and you and growing up you held uh point of views from both sides this mm-hmm. whole time with you. I've had to. Yeah, I've had yeah. to see
1: from every point of view, every angle, and understand where my grandparents are coming from, where my dad is coming from, where my mom is coming from and how those all blend together and create a family unit. And so I think that is a superpower for me, and that helps me in my job and in generally my friendships in my life. But I think also, like, it has some limitations and that, like, I took on a lot of the, like, mandates from both cultures. Like, I'm a super hard worker and i believe that your self-worth is tied into your work and your discipline and your perfectionism and that's something that both cultures sort of hammered into me so that's definitely crazy and has effects on my mental health and my well well well-being in my day-to-day and then also like Yeah, I think the acknowledging just that I'm so lucky and privileged to have that story that literally paves the way for me to create my own life, like, that's awesome, and I thank my parents for that, but it also means I'm super independent, and I feel like it's all on me, and sometimes I don't reach out to people, and I don't think people need me, and I don't think that I need people, because... I'm independent, my parents were independent in all their choices that they made, and leading up to me and beyond, and so sometimes I don't rely on community as much, also cause I never felt like I belonged in one or the other, or found my people, because my people are all kinds of people. (laughs) And so I think that can limit me as well. To answer your very pointed question in a roundabout way with lots of depth (laughs) and emotion, like that is what shaped me growing up. So it's a lot. But I want to hear from you, you know, what shaped you growing up?
0: Oh, no. Oh! <laughs> I'm bared, so. Yeah, no, no, that was beautiful. I, <laughs> I think I think race and ethnicity is such an important conversation these days. I, d- I just need to acknowledge it of, like, race really has not affected me in any way. Obviously, I'm a human being, and I have things that defined me, and yeah. I have an identity because of it. But one of the biggest things that people love to find out about me is I'm from a big family. Mm-hmm. I'm one of five girls crazy. Which is bizarre. So we don't know boys really that well. (laughs) We don't do boys. We don't do boys. Like starting with the large family aspect, everyone's like, oh my god, were you guys best friends? And I was like, no, we were (laughs) definitely not best friends. It's kind of always a bummer to answer that way. But at the end of the day, like there was obviously very good things about it of like, you know, being a team player, understanding what sharing is, like acceptance of different personalities. And that's, that's why we weren't best friends because we were all very different. We always say that about each other, but it allowed me to understand that everyone has a different point of view and you have to respect that in order to move forward Mm. it made me super empathetic because we don't have a choice but to move forward right and we're gonna take the best out of each other to just keep going so you can't fight all day with your sisters
1: you guys have to and i'm sure your parents enforce this too like you have to find a path forward you have to find a compromise yeah yeah
0: and don't get me wrong like i'm also italian and italians aren't great about like (laughs) sharing their feelings and like working through it in the healthiest way. So sometimes it was accepting their personalities, but also like repressing your feelings. And then, you know, the, the struggle also is that amongst five people, you only have two parents, one that works all the time and one that was like stay at home and the attention was spread thin and there were good things about that because it reminds you to share, but it also, to this day, like, makes me uncomfortable when I do get attention. And then also sometimes, and it's something I've worked through, but, like, feels like maybe you're not worthy of getting a lot of attention. Mm. Like, what makes you better than anyone else to to ask for that attention? Mm. And then the women aspect, I mean, I wouldn't change that for the world. It made women and men to me so equal mm. because our household was run by women. Wow. And because my dad was working or and, and not home we could have our own little community up and running by ourselves mm. and we could do our homework or we could go to a dance recital or we could whatever w- without any type of like male attention mm. and so there, there's a beautiful power in being just surrounded by women all the time because you feel yeah. so equal and and I just genuinely don't see the difference between men and women in terms of like capabilities mm. so so yeah I think the family piece is is definitely interesting to me because I just always felt like we were, we were just on equal footing with everyone else. And, and that's a really unique experience, I think. And then I think, you know, other parts are like socioeconomics. I grew up on the outskirts of an affluent town. Mm. You know, my friends were getting Range Rovers for their 16th birthdays and the senior parking lot was full of BMWs and like, I just had nothing to offer. And there was a lot of shame there, which shaped me to be a very hard worker and, like, make sure I always had security and make sure that I had money to get the things that I want. Being around those people, you see how the other half lives and how it could be. Then, as a teenager where you're trying to impress other people and you care about what people think, it's it's a very hard reality to accept because you, you just felt less mm-hmm. than. Often. That's something as a teenager you or a kid you can't control. Like that is something that you're born into. So I, as an adult, I was just kind of like, never again. I will be able to get the things that I want, and that that in a way drives me to be too hard of a worker and define myself by my work or my salary or whatever. Where I just have to keep going because I don't I don't want to be in that position ever again. So that's where my kind of and and it's not always for the money. I also like my hardworkingness also comes from like this eagerness to please and then my eagerness to stand out amongst a group of really amazing women who also stand out in my right. family. Like, so that all, all of that kind of goes into like my hardworking kind of trait where I just keep going for more and more and more. And then I think like beauty standards, I personally feel socioeconomics actually played a factor in that for me. Right. Like I already grew up on like the other side of the tracks and then I had all these friends who were gorgeous teenagers and it was almost like wealth equaled beauty therefore beauty equaled wealth and I didn't feel like either and I just felt bigger I just felt darker I felt poorer I felt all of these things and I just thought I wasn't beautiful and that kind of set me on this Trajectory of being really hard on myself because I, I thought, oh, here's one thing on the outside of me that I can change if I get skinnier if I do my hair a certain way, if I can save up money to buy the Marc Jacobs jacket, whatever, people are going to think that I'm beautiful, therefore well off or vice versa. Mm. But at the same time, it also brought me my love of fashion. Mm -hmm. I felt like this was a way to compensate for how I felt about myself on the outside. I thought I could make myself more beautiful through fashion, but also express myself and my creativity. I feel really good about myself and I wouldn't change that for the world because fashion has always brought me happiness Mm -hmm. um so what an interesting example of like the problem becoming
1: the solution right like you looking at it as a way for you to fit in but it actually also became the solution to your lack of belonging because it gave you something that made you you and like that helped you find something that made you feel special and different and unique that's so cool yeah
0: it was a really happy bridge Mm -hmm. like i know all my rich friends have the money to buy all these really cool things but either i'm gonna save up or i'm gonna be creative about it and i'm gonna look fucking great too and there's gonna be no difference but also this was really fun for me and this actually was very gratifying and i feel good about myself and just one other thing about like the beauty standards like i I'm the darkest person in my family. Mm. And by dark, I mean, I just have the most Italian features. I'm half Italian and then like half a bunch of other things. But all my sisters are lighter than me. They used to tell me like I was like the milkman's daughter, basically. <laughs> or and when I was really little, they were like, you're, you're adopted. And as but like, to be honest, I'm not really scarred for life from that. But in ways it's made me really veer towards my Italian identity Mm. and I think this is one of the reasons I love Italy so much is because I feel so welcomed and I feel so natural there and when me and Nate are walking through Italy like they gravitate towards me Mm. and they're like you're you're one of us where my sisters are lighter than me and they felt like a collective Mm. and so it's I think that is one of the reasons why I vibe towards that particular culture.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. That's so interesting. And, like, also so hard for you is, like, being ganged up on by four other sisters. I know. I I'm glad that you you. you were able to take it in stride. But, yeah, I was going to ask, like, how you were able to find your own path within a group of five seemingly very strong women with probably strong personalities and strong beliefs, like – But it sounds like they pushed you into finding your own space, but also, you know, you found your own
0: ground within that. Yes, I was pushed a little bit. I felt othered a little bit. But we all found our ways to be the best at something. Mm. And, like, we were all very competitive with each other. And I think at the end of the day, we're also sensitive people. And so at the end of the day, it kind of forced us to find our niche and really own it. Versus going after the same thing. And I kind of love that and I kind of hate that. yeah, because it felt very territorial. like, oh, you're good at something, can't we support each other? And both like being good at something. right. And so it really did make me question like, how do I, how do I stand out? And so for me, like really carving out my niche was obviously looking different, having a, a little bit more of a creative, bone and how I express myself and you know people ironically I know I just call myself a wallflower but I also have like a knack for like social skills because I came from a, such a big family I like I became like a diplomat Ooh, and, yeah. and Dana sees this every day in my work yeah life too that that is my job that was where I carved out my path so it had like a huge massive impact on who I am today oh my gosh that is a lot
1: I, I felt like when you were talking about competing, it be, could be like, oh, well, I she played sports so I can't play sports or, you know, like you, you almost miss out on the things that could be your thing and yeah. that feels limiting and scary, but it seems like, especially at, knowing you in your adult life, like as you've cultivated yourself outside of obviously your family dynamic, like it's so beautiful to see that like those niches those things that you turn to have really turned into kind of the the pillars of your identity but in a really positive way where you've been able to take those things and hone them and grow them and feed them and fuel them in a really positive way whether it is you know carving out your own sense of self expression through your beauty and your fashion or your diplomat like skills are bonkers you know and that that, that manifests at work but also in your friendships
0: thank That's you a cool story.
1: yeah it's funny that in within our both of our stories a lot of those traits that we grew up nurturing and liking about ourselves or that we had to acquire have become the traits that have pushed us into where we are in our careers or how we treat our relationships, right? Like, into as we were just saying about you, like, your ability to be that diplomat and go behind the scenes. That's part of your job. And, yeah, for me, the, like the ability to straddle two worlds, to see many different points of view, mm-hmm. to understand different cultures deeply is all part of my job, too. That's what I do every day, is like dig yeah. into how people are feeling and thinking and yeah. the culture around it. And, and yeah, and it, and it allows me to be an empathetic and open-minded person in my relationships and my friendships. So like, it's really cool that like those things that you form are good, are not all bad. You know, <laughs> there's some trauma, but there's good things that come out of it that really can shape you and your path in life and give you skills and talents and superpowers that translate to p- paying jobs oh, <laughs> and like that. those soft skills that we both seem to have grown up with are actually translating to hard skill right
0: totally it's cool totally <laughs> oh great okay cool so that was the best but let's let's talk about as we're saying like they just like hashed out all, all of the kind of foundational pieces yeah. or some of them at least. And we just, we have the opportunity now to be our own people. We're, we're talking about things we lived through. And obviously, as you can tell, we have pulled out a lot of the things that we like and are still applying in our lives. Mm-hmm. But we're also in contrast with the pieces that we didn't like and, and the things we're trying to slug off. So what makes your identity right now and how did it feel to evolve beyond that foundation that you're talking about? It's a hard
1: question that I think I'm still figuring out the answer to. I guess like the the biggest rub for me has been in the last few years where I've started to cultivate a life as an independent adult woman with a partner. And sort of I've been comparing that experience to how I saw my parents growing up. And I think, you know... I always felt like they knew the right way to do things, they were doing it in the best way, they were creating the best childhood for me, and I think now as I get older and I start to kind of interrogate that and figure out what kind of life I want to live, like also just acknowledging that like whatever my parents wanted for me or their idea of me can still coexist with the idea of myself that I live now, even if they're different. And I think I've just sort of like had to reconcile the little child that they see me as, like the only precious little girl who I still am, with the woman that I've become of this person who wants to live a certain way and feels like I can either be the child or I can be the adult and they can't coexist and it makes me feel like i'm pushing away from my parents who like love me so deeply so sometimes when i see myself having different points of view from my mother or not really wanting to live the way that they live or liking my lifestyle a lot better than their lifestyle or feeling the limitations of like kind of how they live their life versus how i live my life i get like angry cuz i'm like ugh like you know, am I, am I pushing them away? Am I being, dishonoring them? Am I not part of that? When actually it's, like, yeah, you can be both the person they love you for and that you are the only child person, but you can also be yourself and just, like, live your own life, and so I'm trying to, like, reconcile that. And then there's, like, little things, like, this is a silly example, but, like, I, yeah, being an only child, too, all the focus was on me, so there wasn't a lot of, like, room to question or to rebel Mm. honestly I didn't sneak out I never snuck out I never did anything I didn't go to parties I didn't like whatever and so now as an adult I sometimes have these like weird moments where I'm 30 and I'll be like I can get a piercing if I want to because it's my life and no one's gonna tell me I can't and so now I have these moments as an adult where I'm like freedom. I can do whatever I want, like, all the options are at my disposal, like, I can decide if I want to get a piercing, or if I want to get a tattoo, or whatever, it's like a micro example of realizing that you can explore your own identity, and there are so many options beyond what anyone has told you or expected of you, which is kind of cool. Do you
0: feel a sense of rebellion, like, when you bring your adult self to your parents?
1: Nowadays, I do more so. yeah, I think it, it, it was recently in the like 26 or 27 to now that I realized that like my mom and I don't agree on everything mm-hmm. And knowing that those two things that I can love my mom and, and love her approach to parenting or how she sees the world at the same time as I can say, "I want to do something different. Mm-hmm believe and love someone for who they are but also define yourself differently. Does it answer the question? Yeah, I sort think so. Of? I
0: think mean, like it's interesting to hear your differences from your parents and like how, how are you reconciling with those. And like they have to they have to respect you as that that person So uh-huh. so yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of a lot of sense. And to be honest, like I handle my identity now differently. From how you handle it, mm. I'm in a place right now where, like, I I don't I don't touch upon our differences too much. Mm. I think maybe this past year was the first time I said to my mom, I realized how much of those things I do want, but what shapes me is also the things that I don't want. Mm. And I hope she didn't take that personally, but I think that's just part of becoming an adult, like realizing yeah. what you don't want is a huge part of forming your identity. Absolutely. And like, I don't see my family that often. I'm not trying to start a fight at the dinner table. Yeah. Like, fundamentally, we're all kind of on the same page. We're, we're a liberal family. We right. uh, feel strongly about women's equality. We feel strongly about, you know, setting a career for ourselves. We all kind of have the same foundation, which is what's most important. Like, the fine specifics of my identity where I don't agree with them it's just not worth it to me to bring up and like nitpick when we have 24 48 hours together
1: yeah
0: and so if i catch wind of my family doing something a way that i wouldn't i also respect that's your life Mm -hmm. you're handling that with your identity so i'm not gonna butt in anymore. It's like, I respect everyone for the adults that they are making their own decisions. Yeah. I know what I know about myself and I'm proud of that, but I don't need to flex it against the people who made the foundations of my identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's, it's not worth it to me and that's also part of who I am. I'm like, I, I pick and choose where I spend my energy and where I disagree with people and how I show up.
1: Yeah, I love that. But, but, Back to your thing about, like, the moment you were crying in the therapist's office. Like, if you ask me who I am right now, I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm all work right now. I'm, mm-hmm. like, 90% work at this moment. Like, that's what my brain has been firing on. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't tell you. It's like, uh, yeah, I know all the things of who I am. And, like, I'm a strategist. And I'm a creative person. And a cat mom. And whatever. But, like, I live in Brooklyn. Bah. But... I'm in one of those moments where I'm like, oof, you've been working a lot and let work define you. So who are you? And so like, yeah, I think it is actually easier to tell the story of what formed my identity today than it is to tell the story about who I am right now.
0: It sucks <laughs>
1: and weird mm-hmm. and I feel embarrassed and ashamed, oh my god! But I'm also
0: like, I'm tired. Don't worry if work is identity right now. I mean, I want more for you because we all know, like, you could get serious burnout from only being about work. But if that's where you're at right now, that's where you're at. Don't be ashamed. It's all work in progress.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, like, once you start to, like, have that moment, maybe this is like a mini crisis for myself, right? I was it's just like, going to say, are we experiencing like Maybe Dana's we are experiencing crisis? a mini crisis where we need to say, like, look, you're all work right now. So, what are you? Who are you? Let's explore, right? That's like the beginning. work is not a
0: personality trait.
1: Work is not a personality trait. It <laughs> sure isn't. Having like cute little strategies is not a personality. Oh, no, as great as you are.
0: No, that's not <laughs> fully who you are, but I get it, girl. I get it. Working through it, working through it. Working through it. I, yeah, I mean, for me, if I had to like explain my identity, it would just be about being like human and emotion-led like Mm. empathy and having heart and caring about everyone in the room Mm. and as I've become an adult it's allowed me to own it that is my north star of my identity at this point like that's all I know there are the the core fundamentals in me that I cannot change and I I have to own it so like Mm. that's that's kind of it for right now the rest is still work in progress but at least I got there in like two years I don't know
1: (laughs) we'll see what the next two years oh my god that's huge in two years to say that you to admit you are a sensitive and emotional human and that that makes you you yeah Mm, that's huge that's growth I mean that's so important and so many people can't say that even though they should even yeah I think that just made me think that like yeah, if I have to sum it all up, like, complexity. Like, I'm a fucking complex person, and I like complexity. I thrive in it, and you I do. figure it out. And there's joy in that, and that makes me excited. And, like, my my equally or, or similar admission is that, like, it's okay to be complex.
0: All we can do is keep owning it and, like, continue to... Identify and enforce what makes us feel good about those things that make us who we are, and it's never too late to slug off the things that you don't like. So yeah, I think I think that is that is the summary of it all. <laughs> well, we're getting close to the end of end of it all. Next is our little little pop off before the end. Now that I, I don't know why we do this to ourselves, we're like emotionally spent at this point. But <laughs> we'll come back and we will do an. Is it just me or th-? be right back.
1: This is the end of the show segment where we pop off on something that uh, is frustrating us, that we want to question, that we're concerned about, that we want to know more about. This is called, (laughs) It Is Just Me Or... or, This is called, (laughs) Is It Just Me Or... Dot, dot, dot. And Katie is going to go first. You have one minute to pop off. Are you ready? Okay, she's ready. Your time starts (laughs) now.
0: Okay, is it just me or does the stigma of two people in a relationship taking space from each other need to stop. Basically what I'm saying is me and my partner of like six, seven years at this point, we spent a week apart recently because we've been in the same one bedroom apartment for the past two years during COVID. It's been a lot. And we thought, Oh my God, a little bit of air, a little bit of breathing room might be really good. The second people found out that he was leaving the apartment for a week, everyone's like, are you guys okay? Is there a problem we need to know about? And while I do appreciate the concern, it's also like maybe have a look at your own relationships and realize that living on top of each other for two years is not healthy and not the way we were ever meant to live and and you have to think about your life before before covid so give us some fucking breathing room go on the solo trip go on go to your house in the woods go do whatever you need to do have your boys weekend and get some fucking space love it give permission to the people to have their space yes it does not mean something is wrong yes
1: exactly Space is good. Space Amen. can be good. It can be restorative and rejuvenative to a relationship. Rejuvenative. <laughs> I, like,
0: I like it. Why it isn't... is it rejuvenative? <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> okay, Dana. I just went. Now it's your turn. Are you, are you ready for your is it just me? or? Yes, okay. I'm ready. Okay, cool. The timer starts now.
1: Is it just me or is euphoria a great? influence on teens okay like everybody's talking about how like oh my god we were not that messy and gross and like dirty and bad when we were teens and like euphoria is bad because it's making all the teens think about like underage sex and drinking and whatever but the whole fucking storyline is about these poor kids asking themselves one question am i a good person do you ever remember asking yourself that as a teen no you were like how do I be cool like how do I be popular like how do I like like get the guy that I wanted in my crush but they're all like really struggling with what the definition of a good person is is it being you know faithful for Miss Cassie is it being hot and like loved Maddie you know and they're all asking all these questions rude not being addicted or being sober right and so look listen the kids are out here trying they're trying (laughs) So, maybe it's good for the kids to be asking themselves, Am I a good person?
0: (sighs) Euphoria. Boom. Yes. Boom.
1: That's my hot take. Thank you for for that. It's good for the kids.
0: You know, in this room, Dana, it might just be you, but that's you with your point of view. So, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) those kids are assholes they're
1: crazy they're so crazy but it's a show and like yeah if you get down to it that's the the moralistic storyline is like about
0: like are you good or are you bad and like it is true that's interesting to me understanding their backstory and like like the foundations of who they are and why they're doing what they do it does like i'm they're they're struggling with that too absolutely is that right is that good
1: right Nate's so fucking toxic because like he like grew up in a bad like situation right so yeah no he's not a good person but Mm, could he be a good person maybe if he had some therapy
0: you can see, like, that nugget of hope, maybe. Also, all were
1: we not all in Miss Cassie's situation? We were all like, we're going to be better this year. And then we
0: went and hoed around. <laughs> I love Cassie because I was that hoe yeah. for, like, a while. Like, I'm not even going to lie. Like, I've always been Team Cassie. We're going to have now a shoot-off of a podcast because we have to <laughs> dive deeper into this. But... Yeah, like we all feel for her in that moment when she's like,
1: I'm not going to love boys anymore. I'm going to love myself. I'm not going to find anybody. I'm not going to be in a relationship. And, and then, then she doubles immediately down. is like, actually, yeah. going to make it worse for myself. <laughs> yes. I am going to destroy all my relationships. <laughs>
0: That's what happens. You like restrict yourself and then you're just... Yeah, up in flames. You just
1: give in to your impulses, you know, in the moment because you can't help yourself. Yeah, I am a little bit of the emotional side of Cassie. I didn't get to hoe as much as I would have wanted to. Shoulda hoed more.
0: <laughs> Coulda woulda
1: shoulda. Coulda woulda uh, uh, shoulda hoed more. Well <laughs> quality
0: podcasting <laughs> at your service. Thank you for listening as always. We love you and we'll be back for another episode soon. More to come. See ya. Bye. Bye.